Hey, what's up, folks? Thanks for listening to the Aaron J. Dodson podcast. This is the podcast where I discuss the sacred text of God's Word, and I do my best to help myself and others understand it so that we might keep God's law and we might observe it with our whole hearts. This is an episode. It's been four weeks about since I've uploaded a podcast, and uh, I hope that uh, you've missed the value from God's Word that I try to put out. And so here is my first episode back for twenty twenty year 2024 uh, after a long Christmas and New Year's break. And I want to continue one of the series that I do as I work my way slowly through the book of Matthew. If you'd like to open to Matthew chapter 15, I'll be reading from there in just a few moments, especially the first uh, 20 verses as I discuss the subject of traditions. I'm going to uh, get into the subject of when traditions are sinful. And originally, the article that I wrote that I'll be using for this podcast was given or put out, uh, I do believe, in the Jonesboro Sun uh, newspaper here in Jonesboro, Arkansas. And it was this article that started a contact uh, and a series of conversations with local Reformed uh, preacher uh, here in Jonesboro, Calvinist, uh, and it turned into eventually a, a public discussion uh, that we had. And um, so I say all that. This article stirred some folks. There's some folks that uh, don't like the truth of what I was saying in these articles. And uh, the individual that contacted me, he said that I did not know what I was talking about and that uh, <clears throat> I misrepresented um his position and that kind of thing. I didn't know his position. I'd never met him, so whatever. But uh, it led to a further study on my part, a deeper study, regarding the errors of human tradition when they become sinful. I mean, the errors of traditions, that is, when, tra- when traditions become sinful. Matthew chapter 15 is the record of Jesus, or one of the records in the gospel accounts, of Jesus interacting with the religious leaders of his time who were very much stuck in their traditions and elevated their traditions to the level of Scripture and even above Scripture. And when Jesus was questioned by the religious leaders as to why he and his disciples did not keep the traditions of the religious leaders, He responded with a question, Why do you also transgress the commandment of God because of your tradition? Matthew 15, 3. Then he explained how they were guilty of doing this and that the result of their tradition keeping made the commandment of God of no effect. Matthew 15, 6. And so Jesus pronounces a declaration. He says, These people draw near to me with their mouth and honor me with their lips, but their heart is far from me, and in vain they worship me, teaching as doctrines the commandments of men. Matthew 15, 8 and 9. And of course, we ought to ask the question, could we be guilty today? Are there people guilty 
of transgressing God's commands because of their tradition. Are there people today who teach for doctrines the commandments of men? The answer to that, sadly, is yes. But let's look at the text first, Matthew 15, keeping in mind that the religious leaders were people who, according to Matthew, uh, if you keep in mind the uh, main gist of Matthew or the purpose of Matthew, the background of it, that Matthew is the gospel account written by a Jew to Jews about a Jew. And Matthew is the writer, Matthew the apostle. His Jewish countrymen are the readers, and his subject is Jesus Christ. And Jesus, he, 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 try, he presents Jesus as the king of the Jews, the long-awaited Messiah. And he presents Jesus through uh, a number of Old Testament quotations. And he documents Jesus' claim to be the Messiah. He details his genealogy, his birth, his baptism, his messages, his miracles, and how all of these things point to one inescapable conclusion, that Jesus Messiah is king. And so that's the basic background uh, that I have shared each time I have introduced a new chapter as I've moved along. And if you've listened to any of these, you will know that uh, I don't always read all the verses in a particular chapter, but I do always take at least one unit of Scripture or one section uh, in any given um, part or any given chapter. And I've been going from left to right, you know, one, two, three, four, in order of uh, numerical order of the chapters. And I'll discuss something about that particular chapter and from that chapter. Looking at Matthew chapter 15, beginning with verse 1, Then the scribes and Pharisees who were from Jerusalem came to Jesus, saying, Why do your disciples transgress the tradition of the elders? For they do not wash their hands with they, when they eat. He answered and said to them, Why do you also transgress the commandment of God because of your tradition? For Moses commanded, saying, Honor your father and your mother, and he who curses father and mother, let him be put to death. But you say, Whoever says to his father and mother, Whatever profit you might have received from me is a gift of God, then he need not honor his father or mother. Thus you have made the commandment of God, the word of God, of no effect by your tradition. Hypocrites! Well did Isaiah prophesy about you, saying, These people draw near to me with their mouth and honor me with their lips, but their heart is far from me, and in vain they worship me, teaching as doctrines the commandments of man. When he had called the multitude to himself, he said to them, Hear and understand, not what goes into the mouth defiles a man, but what comes out of the mouth, this defiles a man." Then his disciples came and said to him, Do you know that the Pharisees were offended when they heard this saying? But he answered and said, Every plant which my heavenly Father has not planted will be uprooted. Let them alone. They are blind leaders of the blind, and if the blind leads the blind, both will fall into a ditch. Then Peter answered and said to him, Explain this parable to us. Parable to us. So, so Jesus said, Are you also still without understanding? Do you not yet understand? that whatever enters the mouth goes into the stomach and is eliminated. 
But those things which proceed out of the mouth come from the heart, and they defile a man. For out of the heart proceed evil thoughts, murders, adulteries, fornications, thefts, false witness, blasphemies. These are the things which defile a man. But to eat with unwashed hands does not defile a man. And a parallel account of this would be Mark chapter 7, beginning with verse 24. Mark 7, verse, well, really, really the first 24 verses or 23, Mark 7, 1 to 23. And in Mark's account, chapter 7, verse 3, in uh, my translation, the New King James Version, it says, For the Pharisees and all the Jews do not eat unless they wash their hands in a special way. And I have a footnote that says, literally, with the fist. And so they had a ceremony, a special way to ceremonially wash their hands. And Jesus and his disciples did not keep this tradition. Jesus, when he was asked, why don't, they, why don't y'all keep that tradition? Jesus answered with a question, getting to the root of the problem. He says, why do you also transgress the commandment of God because of your tradition? You see, Jesus and his disciples were not transgressing the teaching of Scripture. They were transgressing the tradition of the Jews. Jesus' question, though, is, why do you transgress the commandment of God because of your tradition? So that tells me this, that traditions must not be inherently wrong. Uh, Our church, our congregation here, our tradition is to meet on Sunday for services at 9 a.m., 10 a.m., and 5 p.m., and we haven't, and we don't deviate from that. I think the congregation may have changed those times a number of years ago, but we've kept that tradition for a long time, and that's fine. It's not on uh, the plane or equality with Scripture, and it certainly does not rise above Scripture. It is a human tradition for convenience and for order for the congregation to come together at the same place at the same time uh, for the same purpose. That's the worship, the episunagoge, the assembling of ourselves together Hebrews 10.25. So, we have traditions. All people have traditions. The problem is that when these traditions become equal with the Word of God, and when people keep traditions and thus break commandments of God. And I want to address some things. I already read some things according to Jesus that the Jews did in their time traditions they kept that were sinful because they broke the commandments of God. And I'm going to I'm going to discuss in this episode when traditions become sinful and some traditions that are taught that are more than innocent traditions like meeting at 9 a.m., 10 a.m. and 5 p.m. they are inherently sinful because they violate what God's Word explicitly teaches and what it implies. And therefore, it is sinful. It's a violation of God's will. And the first of these is a common tradition among denominations, among professing Christians to teach the idea of the sinner's prayer. Never once in the entire New Testament Did God, Christ, the Holy Spirit, or the apostles ever command anyone to say a prayer to become a Christian and have their sins forgiven? Yet this is a common practice today 
among those who profess Christianity, a.k.a. Christendom. The sinner's prayer is damnable false doctrine because it is a tradition that, number one, is not biblical, and number two, it makes the commandments of Jesus of no effect. Jesus' commands include repentance of sin and baptism in the name of Christ for the forgiveness of sins. Acts chapter 2, verse 38, and there are other passages. Acts 22, verse 16. Think about that. If Christ through Peter and Christ through Ananias taught repentance and baptism for the remission of sins, that is, orienting one toward the remission of sins, the Greek word ace translated for, never is backward-looking. It's always forward-looking. So a person is to be baptized in order to receive the remission of sins. The old argument that Acts 2.38 means because the remission of sins is so outdated and it's been answered so many times and it's so unbiblical because the exact same language is used in Matthew chapter 26, verse 28 by the Lord Jesus when he said of the fruit of the vine, and let me get there, Matthew 26, 28, he said, This is my blood of the new covenant which is shed for many for the remission of sins. That means that Jesus shed his blood so that many could receive the remission of sins. It doesn't mean that he shed his blood because people were already forgiven, backward-looking, looking backward. It was forward-looking. The same concept is true of Acts chapter 2, verse 38, which is the divine record of the Holy Spirit, the Holy Spirit inspired Apostle Peter on the day of Pentecost, Acts 2, 38, Repent and let every one of you be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ for the remission of sins, unto the remission of sins. Now, the idea that a person can in their heart believe in Jesus and say a prayer is false because God, neither God nor Christ nor the Holy Spirit nor any apostle ever taught anyone to do that. It's something that man has concocted on his or her own. And I don't know how far back it goes. It's irrelevant. It doesn't go back far enough. It doesn't go back to the words of Jesus or the words of the apostles or the words of a first century prophet. It goes back to uninspired man, the natural man, a man that was not guided by the Holy Spirit as were the apostles and the prophets. Yet the so-called sinner's prayer is a common practice among denominations. People will say, come to Jesus, believe in Him, and say this prayer. Lord Jesus, I accept you as my Lord and Savior, etc. Forgive me of my sins, etc. This is false. It's a tradition of man that is wrong because it's not biblical, it's not taught, and it makes the commandments of God and Christ of no effect. If Christ commanded through Peter and Ananias repentance and baptism, and there are many other passages that teach these same concepts, Romans chapter 6, uh, 
Galatians chapter 3, on and on. If a person is not in Christ until by faith they are baptized into Christ, and that is to be preceded by a change of heart, Acts 2.38, Acts 17.30, 2 Peter 3.9, and on and on and on. And you teach someone or you have heard someone say that they, you are, that they are or you are to say a prayer in order to be forgiven, in order to become a Christian, and the command to repent and be baptized is of no effect. You've made God's commands of no effect. Because number one, the scriptures don't tell any sinner to do that. A sinner is never told to pray. And he's never told to pray for salvation. If you truly believe in this very popular error, please contact me with the verse in the context of the New Testament that proves that the sinner's prayer can be used for people who are desiring to become Christians, who are desiring to be forgiven, who are desiring to be justified in the sight of God. Satan, Satan lies. He's the father of lies. And he, he knows how to do it. He does a quote-unquote good job of lying to people because only God knows how many hundreds, if not thousands of churches practice the unbiblical sinner's prayer. It's just a tradition that's, number one, inherently wrong, and number two, is continuing to be wrong because it makes the Word of God and the commands of Christ of no effect. Because somebody comes along and says, no, I don't have to repent of my sins. I don't have to be baptized into Christ. I've already believed. I've already prayed. I've already named Jesus as my Savior through faith only. Let's talk about that next. Faith only. Those who teach this doctrine usually means something along these lines. As long as you believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God, you, you believe He died for your sins, was buried, and was resurrected by God on the third day, then that faith and trust in what Jesus has done, that alone, no response on my part, no repentance, no confession of faith in Christ, Romans 10.10, 10, no baptism into Christ is necessary. And sometimes the idea of faith alone is argued like a person is say, like this. A person is, quote, saved by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone, close quote. That's too many alones. <laughs> it's a bona fide contradiction when it's examined closely. But let me share with you, this is what I encountered. When a local Calvinist preacher contacted me, he said, no, you're misrepresenting the idea of by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone. He said, you don't know what Martin Luther, uh, the reformist, said. Have you not read what Luther wrote? Have you read John Calvin? Have you read so-and-so? Do you know so-and-so? Do you read the commentaries? Do you read the church fathers? And the answer is, no, and I have no intention all I need is the Word of God. I don't need to listen to the person who is so illogical in their reasoning that I need to follow their convoluted, double-minded talk to understand what they meant by grace alone, faith alone, Christ alone. 
Because I know if anything is by anything alone, then it's by that one thing alone, by grace alone. Now, is it by God's grace that a person is saved? Yes. Is it by a person's faith that they are saved? Yes. Is it by Christ that a person is saved? Yes. So let me ask the question. Why do we put the words, not we, not me, but why do Calvinists put the words alone in there? Because it's necessary for them to put in there to teach their man-made doctrines. You say, no, wait a minute. Yes. Because if those words were needed to teach the gospel or accurately portrayed the gospel, you would read those exact words in Scripture. Somebody says, well, you don't read the word Trinity in the Bible. So that means you don't believe in God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. See there, Aaron? There are things you believe in that are not taught explicitly in the Bible. You know, that, that, sounds, that sounds good to the uninitiated. But I also know that when it comes to salvation, never did Christ or the apostles ever say it was by anything alone. Ever. So I choose to never say that anything or any one thing alone saves us. We're not saved by anything alone. Would the same people who believe in faith only, would they advocate that we're saved by repentance only or confession only or by reading the Bible only? Yet they do believe and claim that it's through the Word of God that a person is saved. So why don't they say only through the Bible or only by reading the Bible and the Bible alone? And when you read the Bible, that's enough. The Bible only. And that's what I mean by Bible only, folks. You see, when we start adding these words in there, it's because, and I say we, I'm talking about Calvinist. When people add those words to the Bible, it's in an effort to show harmony between contradictory positions. That's what I believe. Because when I read Scripture, he never says Christ nor the apostles nor any of the prophets that, any, that salvation is by anything alone. Actually, James chapter 2 tells us, and I'm turning there now, it tells us that the only time only is used in reference to faith and salvation, that the word faith is preceded by the word not. James chapter 2 Verse 24, you see then that a man is justified by works and not by faith only. Now, I've heard, the I've heard the explanations of this by Calvinists. Oh, this is talking about works that a person does uh, before others to be justified, not before God. And no works are necessary in order to be justified by God. You don't even have to do what God says. That's how they define a work doing what God says. You don't even have to do what God says to be justified. You just do whatever we say. <laughs> that's, that's what they say. You don't have to do anything. Uh, all you have to do is what we say. You don't have to do any of the other things that God tells you, you know, for the reason God tells you to do it. No, that's not necessary. And so they just wipe away James too. They'll say, oh, well, this is not talking about anything you do to become a Christian. 
you know, and that sounds neat. That sounds good to the uninitiated. But if you just read the text, you recognize, you realize, you see that he describes a situation where Abraham and his son are alone on Mount Moriah. And Abraham is doing work that justifies him before God. The text says that. Was not Abraham our father justified by works when he had offered Isaac his son on the altar? So who was he justifying his faith before if it was just him and his son? He's going up there to prove it to his 14-year-old son? No, because if he had carried it through, his son wouldn't have even seen it to begin with. He wouldn't have seen the fruition of it. I Folks, when you, when, you, when you tie yourself into a knot because you're trying to keep traditions, because you like those sweet-sounding grace alone, faith alone, Christ alone, and you don't even pay attention to what the Bible actually says about faith only, that a person is justified by works and not by faith only, then you're denying a, a very fundamental fact of the gospel. That Abraham was justified by works when he offered his son Isaac on the altar. Question, who told him to put his son on the altar? That's not good works. It's what God told him to do, to be justified in his sight. Do you see, James writes, that faith was working together with his works and by faith, work, or by works, faith was made perfect. And the scripture was fulfilled, which says Abraham believed God and it was accounted to him for righteousness, and he was called the friend of God. So he fulfilled God's word in believing and obeying God. There is no doctrine in scripture called faith alone. Yet sadly, most religious leaders professing Christianity teach some form of this tradition of men that makes the commandments of God of no effect because instead of teaching the necessity of a faith that repents and is baptized into christ you'll hear no just by belief only just by faith only not a faith that repents and is immersed into christ what verse in its new testament context teaches that faith without repentance or faith without confession of faith or faith without baptism is all that is necessary. Folks, there is no verse that says that, but you will find many verses that say a person is justified by faith, and I do not deny that. But it never, ever says by faith alone. It always says by faith. And over and over throughout the New Testament, including the beloved book of Romans, it teaches that a faith that pleases God is one that acts. A faith that does not please God is not rewarded with forgiveness and justification. And so, just like James is teaching that he that a person, that Abraham, for example, and anyone who obeys God from the heart is justified before God, they are fulfilling God's will, they are not working as a wage, then they are justified in the sight of God. Same is true of Romans chapter 4. The beloved Romans chapter 4. The same is true in Romans chapter 4, verses 4 through 6. Paul is describing a man who works as a wage and he's condemned because no one is justified by working as a wage. But a person who believes and obeys from the heart, 
from the heart is fulfilling God's word and putting themselves in the location where God forgives. And it's not entered by faith alone without repentance and baptism because umpteen verses teach that to become a Christian, a person is to believe, repent, and be baptized into Christ. It's not complicated. But let's consider yet another common tradition that is taught and is, number one, on its own, completely false, and then when it is taught, it makes the Word of God of no effect. It's this common taught doctrine. Choose the church of your choice. Sadly, this tradition makes the command of God of no effect because neither Christ nor the apostles ever taught it. Christ said, I will build my church, singular possessive, Matthew 16, 18. Paul wrote that the body is the church, and there is but one church with one doctrine, one faith, Ephesians 4, 4. Yet Christendom constantly, on a regular basis, teaches that denominationalism is okay as long as you believe in Jesus. Now, pray tell, what verse in its context teaches that God wants people to choose the church of their choice? Where does it even teach that God wants anyone to choose a church? You say, well, you got to choose some church to go to. You do? Because I read in my Bible, Acts chapter 2, that when penitent believers, that's a believer in Christ as the Son of God, repents of sin and is baptized into Christ, Acts 2.38, verse 41, they are added to the church. Verse 47. You don't have to choose a church. You are the church because you're added to it. You're counted among the saved. So pray tell what verse in its context teaches that we can choose the choice or the church rather of our choice. Folks, when you really get down to this and you dig in, you realize these ideas are foreign to the scriptures. Sadly, many honor God with their lips, but they are far from God. Why? Because they're terrible people, because they're cruel and vindictive, and maybe, maybe not. Well, why are they far from God? For the same reason Jesus said of people in his day that there were people who drew near to him with their mouths, they honored God with their lips. They said the right things, but in vain they worship God because they teach as doctrines the commandments of man. So they are practicing vain worship. And I proclaim even now, I stand on this four square, that if people worship Christ today and worship God today, but they're teaching His doctrines, the commandments of men, they're telling people that you can say a prayer to be saved, that you can say a prayer to show you're already saved because it's by faith alone, that you can just choose the church of your choice. There's many churches. As, as long as you believe that Jesus is the Son of God, it doesn't matter what quote-unquote church you go to or what church you belong to or or one is as good as another, or 
or denominationalism is okay. As long as you believe in Jesus, it doesn't matter what you practice in regard to salvation, forgiveness, and, and church, uh, uh, church organization, church worship. And so. Folks, Scriptures never teach these divisive ideas. They're unbiblical and divisive. Sadly, many honor God with their lips, but they are far from God. The truth is, any tradition that is elevated above God's Word or is in direct contradiction to God's Word is sinful. And Jesus said, Matthew fifteen thirteen, after the disciples said, Don't you know you offended the Pharisees? You caused them to stumble. Jesus said, I'm sorry, I'll change my doctrine. Yeah, we're saved by grace alone, through faith alone, and Christ alone, or... Yeah, you know, all the different sects of Judaism are good. They're great. There's good people in all of them. So that means it's okay. You don't really have to listen to me. You don't have to believe and obey me. No, no. Jesus said, Every plant which my heavenly Father has not planted will be uprooted. Folks, the gospel only makes Christians only. And the only Christians... You can't get a Christian from denominational doctrine. You can't get a Christian from anything else beside the good old gospel as written in the scriptures. Nothing else makes a Christian. No one becomes a Christian by obeying a denominational dogma to be saved, such as sinner's prayer, Faith alone, grace alone, baptism's not necessary. Choose the church of your choice, just as long as you believe in Jesus, it doesn't, nothing else matters. No. How do I know that? Who am I to say that? I, I am merely a teacher of God's Word who is solemnly declaring the Word of God. And what I have said is based on Acts chapter 2. When those that believed heard and obeyed, they were added, Acts 2.41. And those that were added became the church. They were the church because they were added to the called out number, Acts 2.47. And that was not a denomination. That was not this denomination, that denomination, denomination A, denomination B. It was the church that belongs to Christ the church that he promised to build, the church for which he died, the body of people for which he is the, over which he is the head. Folks, when tradition becomes sinful and we realize it, we must repent and we must obey Jesus and Jesus alone. Do you have questions? Would you like to have a dialogue? Would you like to interact with me? Because it would thrill me to discuss these matters with anyone who is willing to open the Word of God. I'm willing to open the Word of God because I want to make sure I'm doing what the Word of God teaches me to do. Are you willing to open the Word of God? Would you like to discuss these matters? You can find me. I'm on social media. I'm out there, and you can message me. I'd like to hear from you. Are you listening and you have a question? I'd be glad to try to help you the best I can. Traditions can become sinful. When traditions do not change what God has said or subvert what God has said or provide a loophole 
from what God has said. When traditions only help us carry out what God has required, traditions can be very helpful. Thank you so much for listening to the Aaron J. Dodson podcast. Hope you've been missing me. I've missed uh, doing these, and there'll be more to come. God bless, and I will catch you next time.